Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. From the long shadows under St. Paul's number one, along the slow, swirling darkness of the Mississippi, from the windswept shadows of Lower Town to the hollow emptiness of the Wabashaw Caves, welcome to a special edition of Cabin Country. Let's find the place where the wind moans down chimney stacks and the ravens watch from roofless lambs. Fill your coffee cup and move close to the fire as we join Bjorn and Fudd in a seasonal edition of Cabin Country. Welcome here to Cabin Country. Quite literally, in Cabin Country. But we are... In the cabin, in, in the cabin, cabin Country. In the cabin, indeed. This and is our, our first time, I think, recording. I believe you are correct, sir. In the little little dining nook. Correct, yeah. Usually, uh, the show finds us outside around the fire ring with the right. crackling fire. Yes. And tonight, well, the prediction was we are going to get a thunderstorm. It was supposed to come at 2... We were fishing, decided to cover the boat back up and forget it, and it's just too much, and it's here it comes, and we got rained on for, what, three minutes? Yeah, if that. And then it stopped, and, and yeah. the sun came back out, and the humidity rose, and, and then we got, okay, five o'clock. We've been checking the weather. But that went away. Yeah, nothing, nothing. Every there, hour so. is supposed to start. And yet, here we are, and it's uh, 7.56, and it is, in fact, sprinkling outside. In fact, I it think is. what little ash bed we still had in the fire ring is now... But a memory. So that's right. We decided let's uh, let's take a run at the, uh, the second inaugural Halloween recording. Right, right here inside. And with any luck, maybe the storm will move in. That's right. We're hoping to have some nice background thunder. We got the windows cracked. A little lightning, smokestack uh, lightning. Hear the bamboo wind chime. My dad's got out there with his. I think he carved a little uh, pileated woodpecker on the top. Nice. Absolutely. I've got some shots of that. Don, can you can you show some shots of that get, or get, replace get some? That. Don, Don, of course, is off camera and oh, yeah. out of out of mic range yet again. But uh, oh well, was ready to do the the wonderful foley work of getting that crackling fire yeah. behind us. And well, here we are sitting at the table like a couple of vintage '40s news people. That's ready right. to read. That's right. And uh, tonight, I'll. Quick fishing update, Fudd. We we yeah. You threw out some uh, some black worms. Well, I finally put, yeah. I started out. What did I start with? I think I started with a little you had jig. A little jig, yeah, a little fluorescent yellow jig. Didn't, didn't pick up anything. Nothing there. Tried the uh, chipmunk 
Arbogast gas jitterbug. You bet. And five or six throws. I love watching that thing dance across the surface. Across, skitters across that water, but absolutely no interest from anything. Not at all. So Nothing. I switched to the black worm, and right. Uh, right. Oh, I ended up catching a rock bass. Rock bass. Glowing red eyes. Didn't even take a picture. I mean, why? No. Why no. take a picture of a rock bass? And then I was uh, given the opportunity to use one of Fudd's uh, frog arbogasts. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's an arbogast, but it's a, it's, it came out of Yogi's tackle box. That's right. If you remember back to the episode. One we tried to clean the mold off of. Right, right. Hair dryer and uh, a brush. And then you boiled it. <laughs> Ended up boiling it. <laughs> leaving it out in the sun for a while and well, it got bloated. It's uh, back in, in, in fighting trim and with new treble hooks on it. And uh, several casts deep, uh, got right up by the dockside. And it disappeared, and the rod kind of doubled. <laughs> Not a lot there. I could tell it wasn't much. And Fudd, you j- hey, Bjorn, check it out. And brought up a hammer handle. That, that little skinny thing. Really not much. I mean, you you hard-pressed to call it a hammer handle. Yeah. But uh, took, it, took it to the lip, and uh, you were kind enough to let him back. And then uh, yeah. I hear rock bass, and uh, I tried the new birthday... Oh yes, uh, the uh, blue Wiggling Rapala, yeah. silver sort of deep diving. T- t- it was intentionally or intended to take the place of the blue rebel. It's correct. It's just correct, and and of the vaguely same shape, and yet with, with submersible talents. It dives. I mean, it dives deep, and yeah. I five casts, five giant sized salads, and uh, <laughs> said, you know, I think we're gonna troll with this in future. Right. But dock casting will stick with the jitterbugs and the jigs and, and the, yeah. the vaunted rubber worms with the offset hooks. Yeah. Can't fight them. I mean, that's that's what brought you the rock bass tonight. Those, uh, they, they do the they Everything's do the job. attracted they to do them. the job. So. They do. They do. Well, that said, we start on kind of a light, happy vein here, I guess we could say, in a light, happy vein. And, and yet, here we are, Fudd, talking once more again. About Halloween, about yes. uh, that time of the year, October is with us, and we're halfway through it, even though the temperatures up here and the leaves colors are really delayed <laughs> this year. It's, <laughs> it's weird. I swear it's still August. Yeah. Uh, not uh, The birches are dropping leaves, the oaks some, but by and large, everything's still green. Yeah. And uh, the water's still warm, and the fish don't seem to have really reacted yet, and there's still quite a bit of riverweed out there, so... Kids across the way. Oh, diving in the river and, and splashing about. And kayak battleship and the whole bit. <laughs> you bet. So, but it is that time of the season. That's October. right. October. We love it. Sort of macabre side of things. And uh, underneath the shadows of the oaks along the Mississippi River or here, the gull. And uh, the wind howling out there and the rain falling. At this point, we've got another seasonal offering for you here. We do. Seasonal offering. We're calling this the the Hamlet Lake Haunt, I guess, for lack of a better terms. So let's go ahead and run with it. We'd like to tell you a tale tonight, and and hopefully it doesn't cause anyone a sleepless evening or too many scoffs. Yes. uh, Grab yourself a cup of cocoa or something stronger. Absolutely. Pull up your blanket and uh, settle in near the fire. The story goes that Hamlet Lake and its surroundings were places where many local people had farms near and homes on the lakes. In fact, near all the surrounding lakes, a large body of water was a good place to fish and trap. Some farmers watered their livestock in the lake shallows. 
a win-win for people who dwelt near the water. Hamlet Lake was no different. Many locals were agriculturalists. The Holsteins loved to be allowed to drink and wade along the shoreline. The fishing was good for those who built homes near the lake. Many who dwelt along the shores of Hamlet and other local lakes were lumbermen. Axes and saws accompanied them into their timber stands, a swarthy crowd to be sure. These were men not unaccustomed to the contests of strength, games of chance that often involved a fair amount of cash and two-fisted solutions to many a disagreement. You'd be wise not to overlook the prevalence of liquid courage. Those who lived hard played as hard as well. The saloons were popular, and what were called sporting houses were easily located with a word to the right individual in a bar. And let's not overlook the local miners. Iron ore and manganese were there to be gleaned from deep in the ground, sometimes 2,000 feet to 1,500 feet down. At the turn of the century, these men worked hard too. The trappers, the lumberjacks, the farmers, and the miners. Hard work was the order of the day. Northern Minnesota could offer a good life, but you'd have to work to secure it. These were the days before railroads made northern connections. The highways were often dirt roads, a lane and a half wide, more accustomed to wagons and horses than today's lumber trucks and automobiles. Weeknights in the communities of yesteryear's Hamlet Lake region were uneventful and quiet. Hard work made for early nights. Lumber crews and miners turned in early to be ready for the next day's hard labor. Trappers and farmers knew they'd be up before dawn. They wouldn't see the sun rising over the fresh snow and dry cattails and rushes. Cows can't wait to be milked and fed. A sprung trap on a trap line is one that won't bring in another mink or beaver until it's been emptied and reset. The work waited for no one, and life in the North Country demanded it. Friday and Saturday nights were another story, however. A week's hard work was rewarded with an evening of drinking and howling. Sunday might be a day to clean your conscience for some of these men, but the early weekend was a time to let loose. In the words of local historian Hamp Wilmot, these were men who liked their whiskey straight and their religion hot. And that latter half, if in fact they ever darkened the doors of local churches. A big if, indeed. Enter Herm Nellis. Herm was probably none too familiar with the standard scripture readings and hymn numbers at the regional Catholic or Lutheran churches. Herm did, however, know his way around a sweeter saw and a lumber axe. The cant hook felt normal in the weathered mitts of Herm Nellis, but he was glad to put these down on Fridays and replace them instead with a hand of cards and a whiskey glass. Nellis rarely sang hymns in town, but he could curse with the best of them, and if he felt you cheated him at a hand of poker, you were in for a wild and definitely painful evening. Nellis caroused on the weekends with other men from the lumber crew. They all liked to drink, although some preferred the card game to the blissful glow offered by the whiskey. It had been an abnormally warm September in the Crosby-Tromald area. The lumber crews were not thrilled by the heat of the late afternoon as they felled the pine stands, nor did they appreciate the last of the season's deer flies that flew halos around their heads. But it was Friday. Time to wash your face and neck and head to the saloon. Get a game going and get some bottles on the table. Herm Nellis's crew was late to get off work that Friday. Extra work was requested of them, and the weekend would have to start later. The guys were sore. The sun was getting low. Norb Oslaksen suggested they go to his cabin and deal the cards, uncork the whiskey. It was nearby, near Hamlet Lake. If any of them felt too sweaty to sit for an evening's gaming, they could walk out into Hamlet and dunk their heads. He had bunks and chairs enough in his place to let fellows crash if the whiskey added to the exhaustion and the eyelids closed. Several of the men decided they needed to be around the fresh faces at the saloon. It was their only night to be around women, and 
not just whiskered working men. But Herman Norb and a couple of the other guys decided Norb's place would do. This was a heck of a week. Everything hurt. The sweat stink hung thick on them. Several belts and some hands of poker at Norb's would just have to do. Suffice to say, after a hurried meal of salt pork and potatoes, the cards came out and the corks were pulled from the two bottles of whiskey. Lanterns were lit along with cigars. Orv Swenson passed on the cigar and took a fresh bite off his plug of chaw, dragging the spit kid closer to his left foot. The game was on. Not surprisingly, the lamps continued to burn as the cards hit the table and the money was pushed around. A few hands met with some war whoops. A few hands ended with some coarse language. The whiskey continued to pour into glasses. Two fingers at first. As the evening went on, three to four finger pours became the norm. The smoke grew thick. The slurring grew thick. Finally, around 2.30 in the morning, after Roy Horvald produced a dubious-looking ace of clubs and a winning hand of five card, the accusations began to fly. Orv sided with Roy. The ace was from the deck they'd been using all night. Bert Wilhelm tried to stay neutral. He didn't want to offer an opinion and reached slowly for the bottle to refill his glass. Herm, however, was sure Roy had cheated. Card looked alien to him. From a different deck, he said as much. When he was told to calm down, he yelled as much. The expletives flew. Norb Osloxen agreed with Herm, but yelled that it wasn't worth this much trouble. It was time to put the cards away for the night. Nellis was not to be calmed. He called out Horvald as a cheat. Roy questioned Nellis' sobriety, his eyesight, and finally his mother's integrity. The last comment did it. Osloxen and Swenson had to hold Nellis back as he strained to rise from his seat and reach for one of the glass empties. Wilhelm quietly urged Horvald to head home. Nellis raging all the while under the combined weight of two lumberjacks. Roy Harvald stood up and told the boys this was too much. Nellis had lost his mind and he didn't have to hang around here and be accused of cheating at cards. He headed out of the door after saying to the party he'd see them all at the lumber site on Monday morning, leaving the stub of his cigar smoldering in the tin ashtray. Horvald walked out and the door slammed shut. Herm Nellis went calm at the departure and the two men stood up and straightened themselves out. It was at this moment of calm that Nellis let out with an angry yowl and ran for the door, the last yells heard being somewhat about a low-down sheet. The three men remaining in Osloxen's cabin heard some yelling and the sound of fists meeting flesh. They looked at each other and shook their heads. Swenson poured himself another three fingers of whiskey. The yelling and sounds of fighting continued. Wilhelm let another cigar and put his stocking feet up on the table. Sounds of fighting and swearing continued. This was nothing new in lumber country. Then there was a sickening thud-like thunk, accompanied by a moaning howl, loud and involuntary at first, that trailed off into the silence. And then the splash. The three realized that a heavy splash had been heard, followed by an immediate silence. Now the sound of feet clearly running away from the cabin plot, sticks cracking and snapping as boots hurriedly hit the ground. The men in the cabin looked nervously at each other, Minutes dragged by in silence and smoke. Wilhelm looked wide-eyed at Osloxen and slowly exhaled another plume of smoke. I think we'd better see what happened, Bert mumbled as the earlier sounds of active violence had taken the blush of whiskey off his face. This was the forced sobriety of unexpected tragedy. The whiskey no longer held sway. They tried to determine what to do next. The trio agreed to go outside. Swenson grabbing Osloxen's deer rifle from over the door. Any Friday night jocularity was now gone, and the men were somewhat worried about what they might find. Horvald was nowhere to be seen. 
Neither was Nellis. Wilhelm went back to the cabin and grabbed a kerosene lantern. The men could see a piece of firewood off Osloxen's woodpile. It was bloodied and gory on the thicker end and had been thrown on the ground. What appeared to be the marks of boots dragged down across the dirt led to Norb's rough-hewn dock. A trail of what appeared in the lantern light to be a copious quantity of human blood was also on the split boards of the dock. The bloody trail ended at the dock's end. The men looked at each other, and the shared question was obvious. Which of the two had dealt the blow, and which of the two was now in Hamlet Lake? After a hurried discussion and some worried looks, two lanterns were lit, and the men made their way back to town. The sheriff was roused from slumbers, none too happily, and the situation explained. Sheriff Hedstrom asked if they'd shine the lantern into the water. Had they looked to see who had apparently been dragged and thrown in Hamlet Lake? The nervous answer was no. They weren't sure what to do. Who had been struck and dragged, and apparently dumped? And now it dawned on Osloxen that the water dropped swiftly away from the shallows of his dock. Hamlet got deep right off his property. Was there any sign of someone getting back out of the water? Were there footprints leading back to the shore, or particularly the roadway? And why didn't you try harder to stop the men from getting this far? It was clear they'd need to wait until sunrise to do more looking around. They wouldn't wait long. It was later in the early morning hours when the men got to the sheriff's house. It was roughly two hours later when the sun broke over the tan reeds of the cattails on Hamlet shores. The blood trail was now dry but dark. Any wet boot prints were long gone. The hunk of bloody firewood was confiscated. A couple of volunteers from town agreed to go into the water. Both Nellis and Horvald were bachelors who were in the region to work the lumber camps. No family was nearby for either of them. The volunteer swimmers didn't stay in the water long. Warm fall or no, the waters of Hamlet were getting seasonally cool. On a third or fourth plunge, Thomas Borash emerged from the deep water of Osloxen's short dock with a pair of work boots, still tied. That was all he could find, Sheriff Hedstrom. There was nothing down there that Borash could see. The other swimmers marveled at how quickly the lake floor seemed to drop away to deep water near the footings of the dock. All there was to do now was wait until start of shift on Monday. Maybe that would turn something up, like either of the men involved. If they both survived, there was no death and no further digging needed. When the Monday shift began at the lumber camp, neither Nellis nor Horvald was present. The word had spread to surrounding towns. People did like to talk. This was a good story. Horvald was eventually intercepted trying to buy a rail ticket in one of the local junctions, a rail ticket that would at least get him to the Twin Cities. No further contact was ever made with Herm Nellis. Roy Horvald was arrested on suspicion of murder. Horvald routinely denied killing or even hitting Herm Nellis. The case was thrown out as no body was ever found. Following the dismissal of the trial, Horvald disappeared. Gossips had him farther out west, in the logging camps of Colorado. He wasn't stupid. There was no staying in the Minnesota Northwoods. Norb Osloxen eventually retired from lumbering due to old age and a gradual decline in the timber industry. Upon his passing, the property on the shore of Hamlet Lake was for sale. It was purchased in the 1940s as part of a shoreline package deal that was turned into a fishing camp resort. The six cabin stretch along Hamlet's shores, known as the Reelham Inn, waned in popularity as better fishing was found farther north, and people in the 1960s and 70s had more disposable income to travel to Lake of the Woods or to Lake Vermilion. The owners of the six two-room cabins did what many resort owners did. They sold out. 
Now, it's in the listener's benefit to hear the recurring tale from the days of the resort. A rumor circulated among townsfolks and past guests of Reelamin Fishing Resort. People talked of impossibly powerful strikes that almost immediately broke their lines. Reports of something on the line that was clearly too big to be swimming under the surface of Hamlet Lake. Perhaps it was a downed log, a snag from the lumbering days. The pull was always immediate and straight down, like something large was struggling. Rods would almost leave fishermen's hands with the power they felt in those strikes, and then snap, a broken line. Repeated attempts would retrieve nothing. Whatever it had been to pull on that line was gone. Two or three anglers over the decades reported losing their rods, right out of their hands, like something much larger than even a trophy muskie was pulling on the line, and the occasional rising patches of air bubbles right after the massive hit. Admittedly, this wasn't bad for business at Reel'em Inn, and yet as many of us know, the glory days of the mom-and-pop fishing resort were fading fast as the 60s became the 70s. Ownership at Reel'em Inn changed. The names changed to Knotty Pine Resort. After five more years or so, the Knotty Pine was now Sunset's North, and the cabins had been improved upon. Bathrooms added, kitchens updated, additional bedrooms added onto some of the cabins. Screen porches appeared on others, anything to generate business. Even the local towns began to grow as the resorts morphed into lakefront realty. The realtor signs began to appear near the main driveway for Reel Em In. Townsfolk discussed the individual cabins now that we each for sale as standalones. One more Northwoods resort down. Families bought these cabins on Hamlet. Some became lifelong summer cabin people. New generations of kids came up to fish and water ski. Some got so enamored of the life that they expanded the fishing shack, made it year-round, or retired and moved north to live on Hamlet all season long. Others realized that cabin ownership wasn't for them, and properties changed hands every so many years. This was the case with what had been Norb Oslaxen's property on Hamlet Lake. Locals had whispered about Norb's lakefront property in the years following the disappearance of Herm Nellis. An uneasy sense of being watched anywhere near Norb's shoreline, either from the landward side or offshore in a fishing boat. Early mornings and dusk were the worst times to feel unseen eyes watching. And any time there was a mist or a fog over the lake, anglers avoided what had been Oslaxen's dock and other talk revolved around the massive strikes anglers were subjected to off that stretch of shore. Everyone knew there wasn't a northern or muskie in Hamlet large enough to cause that kind of damage to so many anglers' lines. Many a local had even redone their reels with the heaviest test they could buy. No matter. Even the rumored giant snapping turtle. What did they call him? Jack the Ripper? Even Jack couldn't do to anglers' lines and rods what had been spoken of by ashen-faced visitors to the Reelum Inn. As new owners bought the cabin, the old rough pine dock Norb Oslaxen had annually put out on Hamlet was replaced by modern sectional docks that were either built of pressure-treated lumber or later on the aluminum sections that were the envy of moderate-income locals. That said, boats tied up alongside the dock on this stretch were often partially swamped or torn loose from the dock regardless of the weather. A calm night might result in the owner's fishing boat drifting aimlessly across the water. One short-term owner even spoke of coming up from the suburbs one Friday night to find the last two sections of his dock wrenched loose and at a rakish angle, as though the whole dock had been hit by a fast-moving ski boat. None of the neighbors had ever seen anything, and all that was heard was rough splashing in the water late enough at night that people were either too tired or too spooked to go check it out. This brings us to our last owner, 
What had been Norb Oslaksen's place at the turn of the century was now a total rebuild circa 1992, and after two more title changes, it was now listed as the Tom Danston and his daughter's cabin. Danston was a medical GP from the Twin Cities, western suburbs, and a guy who enjoyed the lake place, but seemed more interested in it as a status symbol. An expensive ski boat sat on a covered lift hard of starboard of the dock sections. The boat, however, rarely left the lander. The good doctor was almost never outside. His kids, however, were constantly in the water. All three girls preferred swimming and general water horseplay to the idea of firing up a powerful inboard. There was rarely a moment when the family was at the Danston cabin that the girls were not in the water. Air mattresses. Inner tubes. The floating diving dock Dr. Danston had anchored 20 feet off the end of his dock. He wasn't worried about the quick drop-off. All these girls were expert swimmers. It came as quite a surprise to many locals and cabin neighbors as they saw the range realty signs appear on the end of the driveway and also out at the end of the dock. What had happened? Was Danston's practice shut down? Had he run into legal trouble? The girls certainly still enjoyed being at the cabin. Or did they? Come to think of it, they hadn't been seen nearly as often jumping off the giant tractor tubes. This summer of 1996 saw the property up for sale yet again. When the locals would ask at the in-town office of Range Realty what was up with the Danston place, the response was always that the fishing was great, the water clear, and the cabin a beautiful new construction that offered all the amenities an adventurous young family could ask for. If one kept their ears open in the local bars, grocery and liquor stores, however, the tale was slightly different. Will Danston had come up for the weekend at least three different times over the last couple of years to find his last sections of dock twisted off their lines and loose from the more shoreward sections. The first time he chalked it up to weather. The next couple of times he felt as though the dock might be a target. That might not have been enough to run off the good doctor. In finding his 14-foot fishing boat swamp several times, Danston began to take it personally. He'd also noticed that the prop on a seldom-used ski boat was dented on two of the three prop blades. He hadn't had the boat out more than five times since buying it, and he was damn sure he never hit anything with that prop. That much was annoying, and the rationale for placing trail cams on his dock poles as well as the trees leading down to the shoreline. The cameras never turned up anything. One photo following the swamping of a fishing boat showed the boat moving in strange ways in each photo. No one in it, on it, or anywhere near it. The boat was swamped afterwards. The real deal-breaker, however is the series of coincidences that area locals swear will keep the property unoccupied forever. The gossip around the lakefront is that over two summers, Danston's daughters each felt at various times that they had been watched, either on the tubes down in the lake or even through bedroom windows late at night. Something or someone had been quietly observing them. 15-year-old Jen Danston later let it be known that while playing a game of Queen of the Hill on a big inner tube, well off the dock, she had been pushed into the lake. She went in over her head and began to kick for the surface. She was fairly sure something had grabbed her left ankle and hung on for two or three seconds. She came up yelling about this and her sisters laughed at her so thoroughly that she would speak no more of it. She also was a less frequent swimmer following the event. Danston himself had had a fishing rod yanked from his hands one late afternoon. He said later it almost felt as though he'd have been pulled from his dock chair. No, these events all had their effect. They were strange, yet they were all explainable given the daily activities around at a lake place. The last straw for Dr. Danston was one he never shared with his girls. He'd been up later than the girls on a Friday night. 
The trip up had gotten a late start, and the doctor had to complete some reports concerning the medical event that kept him at the hospital later than planned. The girls watched a favorite movie on VCR and then turned in. He refilled his glass a couple times while working on reports with his handheld recorder on the arm of his lazy boy. He'd get this done this early morning so he could enjoy the rest of the weekend. He kept working on the reports as the clock ticked and the scented candles burned lower. It was when Danston awoke he realized he had been asleep for a while, but it was the sound that snapped him out of his slumbers. His ballpoint pen was on the floor, along scattered papers, the empty scotch glass on a coaster. He had heard a loud splash, like a boulder being dropped off a cliff. Danston grabbed a camping lantern and opened the door that led out onto the deck. The barefoot doctor realized his feet were suddenly wet. He looked down to see large, wet footprints that had led up to the table on the deck. The table was of decorative metal frame construction with a glass top. The glass top was cracked, with a large white impact mark where it looked like the glass had initially been struck. Danston figured a fist had struck the glass tabletop, and a good-sized fist from the size of the cracks. He looked around rapidly, frantically, with Coleman Lantern. No one there. Just more large, wet footprints, and what was this? Lakeweed, amongst the footprints. The weed the locals called raccoon tail. Danston caught himself. There was also a smell. A smell that he as a physician recognized from somewhere... Yes, it was the smell of the morgue. He shored up his courage and followed the footsteps. They retraced themselves down to the dock. The footprints and accompanying Lake Wade fragments ended at the last plank of the dock. Whoever, or whatever, this was had gone back into the lake. Again, his doctor's instinct kicked in as he examined the footprints. Size 15 feet at the very least. A man. A big man. From the smell, a big deceased man. Danston hurried back toward his deck. Wet grass was meeting his feet. Grass that had been dry all day during the summer heat. The good doctor made it to the welcoming board lumber of his new deck. Yet here were the wet footprints again. The coontail fragments, that stench. He walked over to look at the table one more time. Something caught his eye that he hadn't seen in his sluggish early waking moments. There was a darkish, thick liquid next to the impact crack in the glass top table. Danston's training assured him that it was thick, congealing blood of something long dead, and marked with some of that dark brown smear, crumbled and off to the side of the tabletop was a small piece of paper. A label or a note, perhaps? No, it was a card. An old, old playing card damaged by water. It was an ace of clubs, almost unidentifiable by the water damage. Dr. Danston called the local police. By the time they arrived... The wet footprints were dry, the coontail weeds being all that remained. The high-powered lights were pointed off the end of the dock. Nothing could be seen. Maybe the empty low-ball glass on the doctor's table made the police wonder about his accuracy as a reporter of events. But there was that card. It was old. It was covered in stagnant old blood. What in the heck was this? Well, another chapter added to the curiosity surrounding that stretch of Hamlet Lake. A good local story continuing to get better. Local anglers continue to report feeling watched along the shoreline on the western side of Hamlet. The property continues to change hands.
We'll be back in a moment after a few words from our sponsors. Arcola Blue Light Lantern Bulbs are the industry standard in hard-working, hard-wearing lantern lighting. Stronger filament technology puts Arcola Blue Light Bulbs ahead of all other emergency lighting products. Where their bulbs burn out, the blue light continues to shine. Patented Arcola glass technology is also a plus. Our unique light blue translucent glass is specially made for us from St. Peter sandstone at a thickness that won't break, even if your lantern or flashlight gets dropped. Stronger glass, stronger filaments, a longer-lasting combination. And that blue beam will shine out in the darkness if you are rounding up the last of the cattle, searching for the path on the way back from the woods, or walking the high-bridge tracks in the darkness looking for something long vanished. Arcola blue light bulbs are the lamps you should be putting in your flashlights and hand lanterns right now. Don't delay. Switch to Arcola blue light today. Well, Bjorn, that was another another good spine tingler for our now annual Halloween season spooky storytelling spooky time. stories yeah. indeed and uh fud if you don't mind i uh, i'm getting the nod here from don i'd like to say a few words for a moment here if i might for our friends at mitt's coffee oh if yes. you don't mind don will we'll need some soft music here this is a poem in olden days each angler had a pot of coffee on the stove and that gentle brew would stay hot and true whilst after trophy fish they strove. <laughs> yes, indeed. You know, Fudd, I'll translate this ad copy. Mitt's Whistling Wood Duck Blend is the doggondest best coffee you've ever had in your life. Our friends at Mitt's have roasted beans to a middle-range strength that will shake off the morning fog but not make you irritable or grouchy after a second or even a third cup. Folks, our friends at Mitt's are telling us that this is the perfect blend of Costa Rican and Tanzanian beans that will offer day-long drinkability with rich medium roast flavor and a caffeine level that won't lift the sea maid right up out of the water. And we've got it right here in a handy one-pound bag. Of course, this is a podcast, so you can't see the packaging, <laughs> but Mitt's has made it possible for you to purchase Whistling Wood Duck in a five-pound bag as well. No need to run out. This is a coffee that our hunting, angling, and workshop friends would call an all-dayer. Fud, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You bet. <laughs> Absolutely. You can keep a pot of Whistling Wood Duck on the burner all day and keep visiting for refills. You will not lose your calm, nor will you be up all night counting those those sheep our parents used to tell us about. <laughs> uh, this is good coffee with a rich, full flavor, and you can even have several cups over the afternoon without paying the price. Every cabin country listener's dream, eh, Fudd? That's right. You betcha. All right. Well, go on out and buy yourself a pound of Whistling Wood Duck today. You'll really enjoy it, and you can keep enjoying it throughout your busy day. And at $7.99 a pound, Whistling Wood Duck won't break the bank either. Try it today, won't you?
that was unusual. What, what was uh, that? Don, thoughts on maybe where that might have come from or how that got into the show? That, okay. No. Mm. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. Interesting override there, briefly. Oh, yeah. Um, I guess kind of the... fitting for the Halloween yeah. show. Yeah. I was going to say. Curious. Uh, we've got... We've got uh, uniquely uh, interloping fan or something out there. Anyway, I, all good. We'll, we'll yes. bring it back here. We'd like to thank you again for joining us tonight on our second seasonal Halloween episode. Uh, the Halloween the season offering. Hamlet Lake story uh, sent a shiver or two down your spine. And make, yes. Make those near the Cuyuna Lakes area. I'm never going to look weary. at... Yeah. <laughs> at uh, Coontail. What is the Coontail weeds again? The correct, same way. Correct. Uh, the, Thinking, oh, it's going to... Deal a hand of cards, and where did why is this card wet? That's right. I'm, I'm a little, what's what's outside? And what was that noise? It was uh, interesting. And would Very a interesting. piece of playing card make a good lure? I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that in a cigar butt. Uh, <laughs> see what we can drag out of Hamlet Lake with a with a cigar butt and a and a piece of clubs or whatever we've got. But uh, no, thank you for staying with us. I hope yeah. you, hope you enjoyed that seasonal offering. In the spirit in which it was intended. And, uh, right. I understand, Fudd, you might be headed up to bring about the seasonal ending to a, yes. another, another cabin season. Yes. Uh, yep, I'll be heading up shortly, just, just before Halloween here. Um, doc is coming in. Yep, pulling in the dock. My dad already had to go up this last week because we dipped down into the 20s oh temperature-wise. And that's Shut off that water. not good. If no. uh, anybody remembers last year... Uh, we were up there. I was up there with my family around the same time, kind of the end of October, and it it got down to the twenties. And the next morning, I I went to turn on a sink, the sink, and it nothing came out. Uh oh. <laughs> and uh, we have ice. Yeah, that was uh, so. My dad came up, and that was the day we were planning on you know t- taking. Every- I got a good head start on everything, and sure, but there was time involved in in in, in thawing out the the water tank in the pump house you know to okay. make sure yeah, so yeah, it was yeah. a bit of a headache but that's all taken care of this year um my brother's gonna head up with his son and uh do one last fishing last hurrah of the angling right 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 uh, fall fishing having to uh bring their own water and jugs and sure pour down a five gallon bucket of water in the in the commode if he wants to flush <laughs> but um they make you make it work. It's like the old days, you know, roughing it. Well, if they're going to take out the sea maid for one last hurrah, maybe they'll stop by hauling walleyes and uh, oh yeah, draw from that's the right dock dogs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What was the dog's name? Uh, yes, I, I, <laughs> I'm a little spaced out on that one. I'm oh my gosh! <laughs> well, terrible, terrible. Find a great sorry, folks. Prize uh, of hauling walleyes. We love you. Uh, we're, we're on your side, and you might have a couple of visitors coming to <laughs> dig in the, in the vest of prizes. That's right. This upcoming weekend before the boat lift gets hauled out, and the dock boat is lift, taken out. The dock. Hopefully, it's going to be an easier affair with that new section of aluminum dock. You know, oh yeah, you bet. Save our backs. There you go. And um, I think my dad. Well, hopefully, he's going to watch my brother and I and his son sure. do most of the heavy lifting while my dad uh, he had a hard time this spring kind of went submariner I understand he, uh, well yeah when we we're putting in the new the new lift um, I mistakenly didn't back up the van with the winch on it far enough right. and the 40 feet of wire cable attached to the lift detached Uh-oh. and um, and it was just it just kind of 
lurched a couple of feet, but uh, sent sent my dad back under the water in the cold spring the water. Floor of the Gull River. Yes, so he <laughs> got him up quickly, and oh, he had thank to goodness. Yeah, run. You know, that was a cold April day. Well, it's dangerous too when those yeah. those uh, with waders waders on fill and, up. And, I mean, we were in just a couple of feet of water, but still, it's quite literally filled his pants, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Thankfully, got up and out of there. So that's that's good news. Warmed up, and that was when he came out of the cabin and said. I'm, I'm, it's time to give the keys over to you guys. <laughs> so that is another thing. I think we might be negotiating. Dry the, out the drawers and hand over the keys. <laughs> Here you go, boys. You take over. I'll contribute a few bucks for maintenance, but there it's up go. to you now. There we go. Well, so. But the good news is, as the cabin shuts down for the season, that doesn't mean winter trips. That's right. Up to the great north country aren't necessarily in order, and, and yeah. probably some field reports from both Gull River and possibly Burnside Lake again. Dunard, it's hard yeah. to say, yeah, without a doubt. And uh, we have some other other yeah. things on tap for our faithful yes. listeners. I know possibly uh, interacting with uh, Minnesota's oldest living steam engineer. Oh, that's right. Just happens to be an uncle of yours, as I understand that's it. That's right, Uncle Joe. Fascinating stories from uh, Railroad Yesteryear and... Yeah. And uh, we did a little digging, too, and got some history on some of the St. Croix River Valley yeah. rail history, and it's kind of fun. So we'll have a show kind of yeah. focused around the train industry, the railroad industry. We also thinking about bringing uh, some, some good friends, the white sidewalls, in to talk about That's right. music and jocularity. Oh, yes. Indeed. Good good tales from... That'll be fun. That'll be fun. Over, all over the greater Minnesota area, playing live shows and... Yeah, I think their season is coming to an end, and they'll have more time to let us into their studio. Absolutely, that'd be great. And uh, pick up guitars and keyboards and whatever, and see what we can do. That'll be fun. A few renditions. uh, Right. And then, of course, there's gears turning to possibly bring in some more interesting interviews for you all out there. Yeah. We won't, we won't show our hand yet. We don't know. I don't think we ever do show our hand. It's we try not to, yeah. Try like to like Tim and Sue, I, I, I even surprised you with... Uh, yeah, you did. Guess what, Bjorn? <laughs> Get out of here. Are We're interviewing uh, Tim Russell and Sue Scott. Wow, today. wow. That yeah. was great. That was a good, clean highlight fun. of the summer. My goodness, yes. But uh, also, I've, we've, we've shared how much we lo- enjoy listening to old radio shows when we're up Correct. gazing at the Correct. fire, and yes. maybe puffing on a stogie here and there. Uh, we like to listen to old radio shows, and, and uh, we we took a stab at uh, well, at a tip of the cap to the Orson Welles classic, War of the Worlds, right. kind of the, the an archetypal uh, yeah. radio drama yes. of all time, the granddaddy, if you will, famously sent a lot of people uh, nervously looking out there in their backyards for aliens landing correct, in the backyard. Correct. We've got our own cabin yeah. country spin. As, that's right. That's right. On, uh, on that classic, on that uh, that Wells chestnut, as my father-in-law would have said. So we're looking forward <laughs> to bringing that to you as well, and maybe kind of a nice follow-up to the, the end of the Halloween season. Right. In fact, I think War of the Worlds was broadcast on like the you know Halloween or correct, the night correct, before yeah. Halloween, something like that. That grinning, glowing, globular visitor. Yeah. From the pumpkin patch. <laughs> It's Halloween. He there said. was no ghost. Right. It's Halloween, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so we'll take a we'll take our own attempt at that, and I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. Plenty of cabin country coming up. Yes. Uh, Radio. With that said, maybe it's time to throw a last log on the fire ring and let the cabin door close, swing shut, finish up our mitts decaf. And Indeed. Welcome you all back to another evening soon of cabin country. We look forward to seeing you again. See you next time.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.